All right. Well, um, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, I want to thank you so much for your time and so glad that you were able to join me today um, for this interview. I'm excited about uh, being able to address how we can embrace change and still thrive. So this is something that's very prominent just in different stages of people's life, I'm sure, you know, as they decide that they want to transform, you know, some things that may not be serving them and they want to move forward in life. So before we dive into that topic, tell us a little bit about you. You know, you have a book that you're thinking of uh, or that you're working on and everything. So uh, let us know how we got to this point and what's going on with you. Absolutely. So I'll give a few little details of the background, uh, like high level perspectives. Uh, I have a PhD in organizational psychology, got that at Clemson, which is not too far from you. Mm-hmm. During my first year of my program, my wife and I became foster parents of three kids who were oh. from kind of the Clemson area. And over the next three years, we fought the foster system to adopt these kids. And there was a lot of miracles involved, obviously, but we were able to adopt our three kids. And then a month later, my wife became pregnant with twins. So it was, it was a wild journey. So in early 2015, we became the foster parents of these kids by 2000 in February of 2018, some of the laws changed in South Carolina, which allowed us to adopt the kids. So this was in February of 2018 that we adopted them. And then uh, the twins were born in December of 2018. So we, and we had tried to get pregnant uh, for years, and obviously it can be cliche, but uh, we went from zero to five kids in 2018. And um, yeah, I mean, during that time, actually, from 2015 to 2018, my, my blogging career and my writing career really took off. And I was the top writer in the world on a platform called medium.com. Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot of it. I mean, I've, I launched a, a book called Willpower Doesn't Work in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm about to launch my next book, which is called Personality Isn't Permanent. And we now live in Orlando, Florida. My wife's a big Disney buff. Uh, that's kind of more of the recent developments. Obviously, there has been some crazy experiences I had in my childhood, crazy mm-hmm. traumas and things that led me on on my path. But uh, that's kind of a quick little overview of, of where I'm at and who I'm at. <laughs> that is so awesome. So what were the ages of the kids? You know, I'm attracted with these kids because I have 15. So uh, Yeah, yeah. That. No, no, no. When Here. I heard your story, it was blown away. <laughs> By the way, my mom came from a family of 14. So uh, Wow. So you, uh, awesome. you know, you're, you, you and your 15 kids, I've got, you know, I think it's <laughs> absolutely incredible. And I think that parenting is such a transformational experience and such a, an amazing, uh, an amazing thing. But yeah, so the kids, when we got them, they were all three siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, three-year-old boy named Logan, five-year-old mm-hmm. girl named Jordan, mm-hmm. seven-year-old boy named Caleb. So okay. they were three, five, and seven when we got them. My wife and I were both first-year graduate students, had never parented before, didn't know what the heck we were doing, just thrown into the fire with these three kids. And luckily, my wife's a lot more stable of a person than I am, and she was able to hold the <laughs> fort home, and I was, and it took me a little longer to adjust. But you know, over the three years that we fought the system, you know, and mm-hmm. had to like try to adopt these kids, uh, we really changed. And we really, you know, I myself can speak for myself by my, my priorities shifted, you know, my, my oh, perspectives, yeah. my values shifted, my, the things I care about shifted. And I learned to really invest in these kids. And, um, you know, now we've got five kids. We've got two little twin girls who are, you know, just walking, you know, they're 15 oh. months old now. And, yeah, things are interesting, you know. That is so awesome. Now, so being grad students, what was it that prompted you to go into foster care? Because, 
you know, a lot of people, they're all about pursuing these careers, these shiny objects, so to speak, and, you know, beginning that journey of following our, their dreams. So what was it that got you into foster care? That's remarkable in itself, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my wife had grown up with foster girls in her home. Her parents oh. had had, you know, tons of therapeutic teenage foster girls coming through the home. So my wife grew up with like 40 girls that came through her house. They were more short-term, mm -hmm. um, higher needs and teenagers mm -hmm. that came through. And so she had always had that in her head. Um, you know, we're both, you know, religious people, spiritual people. Like we like to do good in communities and things like that. But I think mm -hmm. it was mostly planted in my wife's head. It was not really a concept of mine, although my father was actually adopted, but it, oh. not through foster care. He was adopted as an infant, but I was never, it was never on my radar. Never mm -hmm. something I was thinking about doing, but uh, my wife wanted to do it. And so when we got to Clemson, South Carolina, you know, that was the first thing we did during the first year is we just, you know, just started going through that process, quickly mm -hmm. got our first placement, which, which was these three kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, then just went through the crazy process, you know, lots of ups and downs. The system yes. was very much against us, like very much not wanting us to get the kids. Some of, like our, we had a crazy social worker who was kind of out to get us. And wow you know, miracles that occurred, but also a really amazing attorney. His name's Dale Dove, who's in South Carolina, but he was a brilliant attorney who knew adoption law better than anyone else and, and really saw that a lot of the laws were messed up. And so it took a few of his cases going to the top, like federal level, which changed the laws in South Carolina to ultimately allow for us to have the rights to adopt these kids. It was, it was a crazy process. We spent a lot wow. of time in court and there were episodes where you know, the social worker would illegally take the kids from us and then have to give them back. And I mean, it was just, what? it was just like so many ups and downs, you know? That is just amazing. And, you know, my thing is hats off to you guys for doing that. And, you know, uh, it sparks in me the question of, you know, that dynamic when you're getting married, you know, how did you know um, if this is something that wasn't on your radar? Because there's other men out there that, you know, they may be newly married and they're like, you know, how do I navigate through this where my wife wants to do something and I'm not really, it's not on my radar. So how did you resolve that in yeah. yourself? And three kids, that's, you know, <laughs> like from it's zero. A lot. No, I actually addressed this very topic in, in Personalities and Permanent because I actually talk about how, from my perspective, most people marry with the wrong mindset. You know, they actually marry because of someone's personality, you know, because they're attracted to someone. Right. Um, uh, we were very explicit with each other. And by the way, just to throw it off the cuff, you know, no matter how attractive someone is in the beginning, I think it's pretty obvious when you're married to them that the novelty wears off no matter how great they are, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter how attractive or exciting years. someone is. And, yeah, and even more, you know, personality will change over time, especially through experiences. But, um, we were very clear with each other in the beginning on a shared purpose. We were very clear that we had shared vision shared goals and that, you know, we didn't know exactly what that would translate into, but we were on each other's team and um, you know, we, we had a similar vision. And so, mm -hmm. you know, having kids and you know, that, that was part of my philosophy from the beginning. We knew we were going to do that. I knew that she wanted a big family. I didn't know how it would occur. <laughs> um, didn't, you know, didn't know we would, we know we wouldn't be able to get pregnant for a while and then we'd go and we'd get these three kids and stuff, but we, we were very aligned on our vision. And so, you know, for me, having a, a, a core sense of purpose will allow you to, to get through crazy things. 
and to you know so so that's really what allowed us to do that and it's what allows her to support me in my my crazy career path and and um yeah a shared sense of vision and purpose is is really key as you go through crazy ups and downs and it actually allows you to make decisions you wouldn't have otherwise made we would never have chosen to put ourselves through what we've gone through right Um, but that, but we did it on purpose. We, we did it. We, we chose to have those kids and we knew that putting ourselves in that situation would be difficult and challenging. We didn't know what it, all that it would entail, but right. we, we were for it. I, I like that. Now, so how did you ensure that you had a shared vision? You know how like we all, I do, we're going down the aisle, we agree, so to speak, on these things and we believe that we're with a like-minded person. But how did you ensure that? Because, you know, there are those challenges that come when you begin to have the dynamic of it's just you and her and then you have children. I mean, that's change, right? Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's like you go from three to five children in this short time frame. So how did you, what are some ways that somebody can ensure that they are truly on a shared, a shared vision? in the very totally, beginning. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Well, so my wife, admittedly, she had been married and divorced before. She she got married and she was in an incredibly abusive marriage for about okay. three years, physical, sexual, mm-hmm. like all the above. Okay. Um, and so when she got out of that, she actually ended up, you know, doing a lot of travel to kind of rediscover herself. She served a church mission to kind of, you know, which mm-hmm. she did a lot of service and kind of really was able to transform through that. Um, when I met her, um, you know, she was, just going back into school, you know, after having served that church mission. And she was very reluctant, you know, as far as putting her trust in people after having, you know, been radically deceived. Um, So when we, you know, once we actually started dating, we were very honest with each other, you know, and she could have a lot more frank conversations because she'd already been in a rough situation, you know, and I actually, my parents, I grew up in a pretty tough situation myself. Like my parents divorced when I was 11. My father became a really heavy drug addict. Um, and I, I went through enough crazy stuff for me to kind of see how things could go wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, so we both kind of had pretty open eyes uh, as far Mm -hmm. as, you know, we were both looking for a certain level of maturity versus Mm -hmm. just, you know, so we, we were able to have a lot of conversations, but I was very open with her, you know, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the relationship that the career I was going to pursue was non-conventional, um, you know, that, you know, like. It's going to require some faith, in other words. Um, right. And, you know, and, you know, I remember her kind of like, <laughs> she, she'd been used to a lot more stability and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, we were just very open with each other and we were laying out the vision. And, you know, my family would make fun of the situation because she very much wanted to have a huge family, you know. And so, like, um, we we knew that she wanted a lot of kids and stuff like that. Um and that wasn't necessarily my initial goal, but again, I'm pretty open. Uh, right. And also, I, I believe in growth change. I believe in living with purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we kind of, we just, we we kind of were blunt and honest with each other from the beginning. We, we didn't go, you know, it was like from the first conversation of the first date, she laid out that she had been divorced. And like, it was just like, we were honest with each other rather than wasting each other's time. And we didn't need, you know, and and, and we had fun together. We did a lot of fun dates and stuff, but it was like, mm-hmm. we, if, if we're not the right people for each other, if we're not on the same page, like, let's just not 
go through this process. Like, and so we were just right. honest with each other and really getting to know each other and really, and had a lot of fun, but also we're just like, this is what I want. This is where we're going. And we were able to form that together. I so it that. came really fast. Yeah. Now, so, you know, both of you guys came from different, um, sides of the coin, so to speak. She had her story, you had yours. So I guess I can only ask you because she's not here. How was it that you were at a point where you could resolve that story? You know, because like many her story? People, your story. So oh. I'm saying, you know, to get to the point where you're dating, you know, there's a lot of people that might've been where you are and, uh, or where you were, so to speak, and they want to date, but how do you know how to have that open conversation, you know, and how do you do it? Because for some people, they feel like that's what they want, but they just don't know how to begin yeah. that process. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer, like when the why is strong enough, you figure out the how. And so like, okay. I was very clear that I wanted to get married at that point, you know, and I was, mm -hmm. young. I was 24. She, she was, she was, she was like a year and a half older than me, but okay. I had been doing a lot of dating. Uh, I'd had a lot of life experience. I had done a church mission myself, you know, and mm -hmm. I had traveled and done a lot of community service and travel, you know, and was almost done with my bachelor and like was ready to make the next transition. And so uh, I was, you know, there's a good quote from Dan Sullivan. He's one of my mentors, but he said, your eyes can only see and your ears can only hear what your brain is looking for. Mm. Have you heard that before? No. So in psychology, we call that selective attention. You know, th okay. think about it. Think about it this way. Like, uh, you know, when you buy a new car, you start to see that car everywhere. <laughs> right, right. So, so like your brain, only, you know, you're filtering so much information at once that your brain only selectively and consciously notices the things that are relevant or that perceives to be relevant. This is actually one of the reasons why it's not healthy to actually overly assume labels, whether it be okay. like introvert or, you know, because then you create tunnel vision. Um, and, but uh, when it comes to like deciding goals, when you really get clear on what you want, when you really can like begin thinking about it a lot, you, your brain can start to spot it. This is why, why goals are so important is because your brain's only looking for, you know, what your eyes and ears are only looking for what your brain is looking for. And if you're not clear and intentional about what you want, you're not going to see it. You know, you're going to find all the wrong things. You're not, you're going to miss all the great opportunities. And so I was, oh. I spent an enormous amount of time journaling. I filled stacks and stacks of journals. First off, like reframing and clearing up former traumas, but also really detailing out what, what I'm trying to accomplish in my life. And obviously that always mm -hmm. changes and transforms through experiences. But I was pretty clear on the type of person I wanted, the type of life I wanted. And I had spent a lot of time living intentionally. And it's only mm -hmm. by thinking intentionally, living intentionally, crafting out and beginning to see things that you can start to actually train your brain to like notice what you're looking for. And right. so, so I've, I've, I generally strive to live an intentional life. Uh, and I learned more how to do that on that mission experience where I was just journaling. And I, you know, I've, I fill a journal out every month. Uh, and for me, journaling and also just taking time to think about who you want to be, where you want to go, what, you, what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, it really helps you to, to move forward a lot faster than if mm. you're just plodding through life. I love that. Okay. So I love the thing about the reframing. So that's one of the things I have a strategy that I've used to overcome depression. I want to hear this. One of the things is reframe. So taking your past and finding a way to resolve it so that it still is uh, used as fuel to move you forward in life. Holy cow, you and okay. I are speaking the same language, man. <laughs> so for me, you know, that was so key because a lot of times when people have something traumatic, 
you want to lock it in a closet and pretend like it didn't exist, but it still had a major impact with making you the person you are today. So if you take that part away from who you are, you're not whole. There's something not right. So for somebody who's reframing, how did you go about that process? What was it that you had to do through your experience in order to reframe it? You know, because yeah. some people may say, reframe, that sounds good, but how do I do it? I don't know how to start. Yeah, no. I, I first off want to just say for anyone who's listening to this, mm-hmm. that what you just said is actually so much deeper and more brilliant. It could easily It could easily be passed upon, you know, as far as that you actually have the choice. This is, this is actually like neuroscience and like psychology. This is proven. You actually have the choice how you remember something and memories can be changed and narratives can be changed so that the past is viewed from a fundamentally different perspective. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to kind of explain very briefly, like how this works. And then I'll explain like key principles for how to do it. So, um, like memory is not like memory is not like a filing cabinet. Um, any okay. view you have of the past is not objective. It's very much a perspective. Okay. Um, so there's a quote from Stephen Covey. He says, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Okay. We see the world very subjectively, but that, that same quote can be, can be you know, used for the past. You don't, you don't see the past as it is, but you see the past as you are. Okay. okay. You know, and other people have different perspectives. And even you probably have different perspectives than you formerly did. Like, I'm sure you can look back and think of things that you once saw a certain way, but then when you learned something or you, you know, you, you began to see things differently. Maybe when you had kids, you started to like, look at your past differently and maybe be less judgmental about your own parents. (laughs) And so, and so the idea is, is that how you see the past is actually more a reflection of where you're currently at as a person. And the big problem with trauma is that when you have a traumatic experience, if you don't resolve it. Mm-hmm. then what happens is you create what's called a frozen personality where you still, so the event could have happened a year ago, could have happened 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't gone back and processed it and, and actually reshaped the meaning of it, then what, what that means is, is that you're still seeing the experience, even if it was 10 years ago, from the initial reaction that you had. And that initial mm-hmm. reaction was obviously negative. It was an emotional experience. And then because you haven't discussed it and processed it and because you're avoiding it, it's now shaping your entire future. Like the past is best when it's information, not emotion. And if it's, and if it's trauma, the past past is best as information. Mm. And and, and it's only information if you've neutralized the emotion, but if it's still emotion, meaning you haven't neutralized it because you're still avoiding it, you're not talking about you put in the closet. And what that means is if it's still emotion and if it's emotion, then it's literally shaping not only how you're acting now, it's, you know, your, your personality and who you've become is like a coping mechanism for, for avoiding it, for dealing with it. And you've now your future is being directed by the emotions of the past. You don't want that. Wow. That's, um, that's good. And so obviously you need to go back. You need to, mm-hmm. you need to, you know, journaling is a great place to just start writing about the experiences that have been the hardest for you. Maybe the experiences that you don't want to talk about the experiences you don't want to deal with. Um, so by actually even just pulling up a memory, you change it. So there's a concept called the observer effect. And basically the right. observer effect means that you can't look at something without changing it. Um, and so when you, you know, every time you pull up a memory, you, you, you can change elements of it because aspects of the current context are brought in. Um, okay. I will tell a quick story just, just to yes. bring up a point and then I'll explain. So this is a okay. story about my mother-in-law, but basically the core of this story is, is that context, um, context is key. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, so my mother-in-law was recently working out in the gym mm-hmm. 
and there was a very overweight woman in the gym like mm-hmm. very overweight and she was wearing very tightly fitted clothing and it was mm-hmm. kind of like you could like my mother-in-law could tell people were kind of like kind of judging this woman right you know? it's a little awkward for some mm-hmm. people well my mother-in-law ended up working out right next to this woman like on a, mm-hmm. on a machine or something and she started talking to this woman and she found out that in the last six or so months this woman has lost 150 pounds wow so my question for you is does that information change anything about how you see this woman? Yeah. It does, right? Yeah, yeah. It, but definitely. without that information, you could, you could potentially misjudge this woman or see her a certain way. Absolutely. So what, this, what this idea is, is that with, with a different perspective of context, you judge mm-hmm. the content differently. Right. You know, this woman was, you know, by, you know, she was the content. Like, you mm-hmm. look at her one way, you know. She is, so she's not objectively just a overweight person. Like she's, she's right. a person in context. And when you see the context, you view the content differently. That mm-hmm. is how memory works is that mm-hmm. right now your current view of, it could even be any form of traumatic experience is based on your current view of the context. And it's very mm-hmm. limited. And when you change the context, you will change how you view the content. So uh, Wayne Dyer, he said, you know, when you change the way you see things, the things you see change. Right. Um, and so obviously one way is writing in your journal and thinking about different angles. You know, how would, how would my future self look at this experience or, or, mm-hmm. or how could this experience be viewed differently or, or what are the benefits that have came from this experience? These are just ways of reframing the context, but there's a really important thing that goes beyond journaling. So journaling, there's so much research about how journaling can, and by the way, like, so in psychology, there's also another concept called uh, exposure therapy. And the okay. idea is that if you expose yourself to something enough, uh, you neutralize the emotions. Like if you're really afraid of, you know, like let's just say spiders and like, you know, you put spider in your hand, you'd maybe be terrified, but if you do it 50 times, you'll start to like stop being afraid. Like eventually enough right. exposures, uh, it kills the novelty and it kills right. the emotion. And so by simply like thinking about it- somebody trying to do a Facebook live or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you, of course, the first few times it may be a little terrifying, but over time right. it's, it, it, you know, courage can turn to confidence, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you, uh, by simply thinking about the story, by writing about it, by talking about it with someone, you're getting it out of you and you can start to see it differently. Um, mm-hmm. And in certain contexts, you can do it, you can do it where the emotions start to go away and you can actually reframe the emotional signal or the emotional kind of undertone of the memory. You can actually shift it, as you've said, where it goes from a negative memory to something you're actually grateful for, right. to something you've, um, there's, one, there's one other key quote here. And uh, this is from Peter Levine. He wrote a book called Waking the Tiger Healing Trauma. And okay. he, said that, he said that trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Wow. So I'll say that again. Trauma, <laughs> isn't what happen, trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And so, awesome. you know, because there's no one there to help you. And, and so I'll give an example. There's, there's a really broad concept called math drama and math Mm -hmm. drama is basically pervasive like most junior high and high school kids in in america believe that they're not good at math right and it's because at some point or another they either were told they're not good at math they failed a test they 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 had a bad experience and so what happens is, is when you have a negative experience and you don't have in this case an empathetic witness it could be a coach it could be a teacher it could be someone to help you deal with the emotions what happens is is you hit this glass ceiling or you have this experience and you form what's called a cognitive commitment in your Mm -hmm. head. You form a narrative because you've hit some wall. Someone told you you weren't good at it or you, 
you fail the test, and then you form a narrative in your head saying, I can't do this, mm. or I'm not good at this. And then what that does is it shapes your identity. And what, what research shows is that trauma destroys imagination. So if this person mm. has had this experience, even just something as being, you know, failing a math test and forming the narrative, I can't do this, what happens is their imagination and flexibility towards math disappears and then they can no longer learn. And then what they do is, is rather than pursuing math, they pursue something else. Um, that's kind of a crucial aspect of trauma is, is that something happened, you formed a narrative and now it's shaping your goals rather than pursuing what you really want. You're avoiding what you want or you're, you're, you're avoiding dealing with the emotions, which is leading you down awkward paths that are, and becoming an awkward version of yourself. So Right. Having an empathetic witness is key. This is why actually when you're pursuing big goals, like if you think about Olympians, they need coaches right. because they're always, you're going to always hit a window or a ceiling and you need people to help you through reframing those experiences and turning them into learning rather than trauma. And so wow. uh, going back and talking, you know, talking to people, could be a therapist, could be a friend, could be a mentor, but talk, and if I myself had had leaders and coaches and friends who I would talk to about my former experiences and they helped me realize you know, how much I've gone through, you know, and how much I did. But also one of the key things that I did was I went back and talked to my dad, who was, you mm -hmm. know, in a rough place. And I actually got his perspectives, you know, because he'd become a tr pretty hard drug addict. By the way, with further context, you know, I grew up and when I went on my mission, he actually overcame his addictions. And he actually, ended up becoming, like, he actually became an addiction recovery counselor. And like, awesome. he did a lot of things. But in talking about when I was in junior high and stuff, I'd never asked him his perspective. I never asked right. him what led him to that. And, and when I got more and more of his perspectives, I became incredibly understanding of what led him to where he was at and empathetic. And so I was broadening the context, which helped me to understand my own experiences better and helped me right. frame them in an intentional, powerful way. And so you can totally Definitely. change your memory. You can change your perspective. And if you don't, it means you actually are still avoiding it. Um, if the past and your memory of it hasn't changed, it means you haven't yet dealt with it or matured from it, you know, because right. as you evolve, as you learn, as you grow, your perspectives develop. Right. Yeah. You know, like even for people to say, uh, do you find that after you have gone through this reframing process that for some reason, judgment just doesn't exist like it used to for you? Do you notice that? Yeah. I mean, that's key. That's like as yeah. an aspect of forgiveness, but it's also just an aspect of, uh, of maturity. Like not only do you not, you know, judge or, or mm -hmm. have hard feelings towards other people, but mm -hmm. also towards your former self, you know, like right. there's a lot of good research now that talks about how your former self is different from your current self. You're a different person than you formerly, or you're also a different person in the future than you are right now. Right. And so rather than overly judging or being critical of your former self, you can be radically empathetic and understanding towards them. And you can, you can even reframe how you view your former self um, right. and how you relate to that aspect of you. Um, you're not the same person, um, but you understand differently why they acted the way they did in that situation. And you can totally be understanding of, of the things that they did. Yeah, that is so awesome. Now, one of the things, and this is something that I kind of go through with some of my clients in terms of, Sometimes, like if you go back to a trauma or a past experience, you kind of carry a weight that's not really yours to carry. So, for example, let's say someone was um, abused as a six or seven year old. So if that memory continues without being resolved, when they're older, they are taking on the mindset that they could have done something. 
So what I tell them is like, you know, go to a park or something and observe a six-year-old and recognize that certain powers that you have right now, you didn't have back then, which Again, uh, you're a different person than you were when you were six. Exactly. And, you know, so if you really look from their perspective to see how victimized you were, you can kind of begin that process of forgiving yourself and holding on to some guilt or shame that really is kind of misguided. Yeah. I mean, we've all either been the victim of something and or Mm -hmm. made various mistakes or Mm -hmm. done stupid things. Right. Uh, And it's important to realize, yeah, like, you, yeah, you, you, you know, if, if in the case of making a mistake, yeah, you, you didn't do the right thing or, or something like that. But if you look at the broader context, you, you like, you know, I've made plenty of mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. and still do all the time. I mean, I even think about who I was last year. There's actually exactly. a great, there's actually a great quote from Elaine de Button. He's the British philosopher. And he says, if you're not embarrassed by who you were 12 months ago, you didn't learn enough. Right. It's kind of funny, but I mean, I do think about it. I think about even a couple of years ago, how I approached even my work or approached my kids or approached things that I now see from a different perspective. And I'm like, you know, I, that's called learning. It's, it's yeah. okay that you weren't there yet. And hopefully, I mean, one of the big things that, you know, researchers in psychology are finding now is it's very helpful, like mentally to view your future self as someone different than you. Like right. your future self is a different person. They're going to have a different level of maturity, different perspectives. They're going to have different values, different goals. Uh, mm-hmm. They're going to have different challenges that they're dealing with. And hopefully, if you've gone through a lot of learning, hopefully they see the world better than you do now. Like, you know, because yeah. your current view is very limited. You don't see the world as it is. You see it as you are right now. Absolutely. And so hopefully your future self has better views. And if that's the case, then you can hold your current identity and your current perspectives a little more loosely. You don't have to think that your current perspective is objective. You don't have to overly defend your current self. Right. Um, and you can be a lot more flexible to learning. You know, one of the Bad. big challenges with trauma and all, is that it creates emotional rigidity. You become incredibly rigid mm-hmm. and you don't become flexible. And flexibility is essential to imagining a future self and to imagining goals, but it's also essential to learning and going through emotional experiences. Okay. And so uh, you want to be, be flexible in your own perspectives and acknowledge that your current views are limited um, and that hopefully in the future you see things better and more maturely. And if you do that, then you won't overly attach to things like, you know, a, a label or a current perspective or, or, or attaching or overly defending your current self, because hopefully if you're learning and, and seeking of, you know, bigger goals, your future self is going to be different than you are and hopefully better. Awesome. That is good. Now these, you dropped a lot of nuggets here. This is awesome. So the last thing I want to ask and then give you some time to kind of express what it is that you want to share with the audience is learning. We hear that a lot. You know, people talk about being in book clubs and reading and all this. So what is something basic, which is the best way to learn? You know, because a lot of us feel that we are learning, but then we are rigid. We are, you know, not moving further, you know, we'd still have the same ideas. So how is it that we truly can practice what learning is and exercise it in a daily routine? It's essential. I mean, I'll just Mm -hmm. lay a few principles out here. One is, is that your brain as a tool or as a mechanism, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, your brain as an organ, uh, one of the core concepts of one of the core tools or uses of the brain is prediction. You know, we form okay. memories and things like we form memories and we have experiences so that we can more fully or better predict the outcomes of our behavior. 
Okay. The brain really likes prediction. It's a prediction tool. Okay. And when you're in new situations, novel environments, or you're trying something new, uh, your brain sends a huge flood of emotions to your body and it's called the fight or flight response. <laughs> you go right. through a new, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with uncertainty or challenge. Okay. Okay. And in those situations, your brain's kind of freaking out a little bit, a little bit because it can't fully predict the outcomes of your behavior. Mm. Okay. And, and so, you know, that, and so your brain is going to work really hard to keep you out of new situations or trying new things or, or, you know, because, it really likes to predict things. Although, however, there's a, a concept called prediction errors, which is basically okay. what happens when you incorrectly predict what will happen. So as an example, if a child touches a stove and it's mm -hmm. hot and they burn their hand, that was a prediction error. They thought that something would happen and they were wrong and bang, a new memory was formed, which then could help them. So okay. prediction errors are basically when you learn something beyond what you thought would happen you're surprised or something like that. You, you learn something new and your view of the world changes because you had a, a hard learning experience or, or just a good learning experience. And so okay. uh, what, what research in psychology shows is that as people age, they become increasingly less open to having new experiences. They avoid novelty. Um, they avoid getting new perspectives. They become incredibly narrow, rigid, mm -hmm. and dogmatic in their views of themselves and the world. Um, okay. That's why it's that, that whole quote, you can't teach a, 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 an uh, old, old dog, dog new tricks. tricks. Yeah. Um, when you're a child and when you're growing up and you're, you go through a lot of first time experiences, you know, the first mm -hmm. time learning math, the first time driving a car, the first time going on a date, the first time getting a career, the first, and then usually what people stop doing is they stop having first time experiences. They stop doing new things. Um, mm. And as a result, their life becomes increasingly repetitious and routine. And as a result, their identity becomes overly solidified. Um, and their brain stops learning powerfully things. And so obviously doing new things, having new experiences, but I would also say as part of that and kind of connecting it back to our conversations on journaling, intentionality, like mm -hmm. setting a goal, thinking about what you genuinely want and then actively pursuing that. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're pursuing and striving for a future self, what that means is that you're acting different from your former self. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good research that talks about how there's a concept called peak experiences. Peak experiences are essentially learning experiences, mm -hmm. um, but they're, they're moments where you see the world afresh. Um, there's a quote that says a mind stretched by a new experience can never go back to its former state. Um, mm. And so those type of experiences are impossible with a passive attitude. They're only possible through intentionality by pursuing something new by seeking new experiences, by, by courageously trying something new or by being around new people or by having new experiences, but intentionally towards a goal, you will have those types of peak experiences, which build confidence, create, you know, increase flexibility and ultimately allow you to have, um, you know, better perspectives of yourself in the world. And so, mm. uh, you want to be intentional, you know, and be honest about what would be a great goal to pursue. What would you ultimately want if you weren't afraid to pursue it or afraid of what other people thought? Mm -hmm. And then to start pursuing that and learning from that perspective. And through that, you're going to actually have huge transformations and huge learning. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And then you can adequately say that, you know, who you were 12 months ago is not the same person you are today. And absolutely. And you're gone. And if you've gone through enough, you know, true learning is often more emotional than intellectual. Yeah, you can read a good book and that can open up your eyes, wow. but you know, by by going through hard things and breaking up the emotions, you know, mm -hmm. that's how you really start to reframe things. I mean, me and my wife having three kids, you know, we had to have some really hard days. Sometimes <laughs> the, your best learning is like when you're going through a hard moment, you know, because it really forces right? you. It forces you to change something. I mean, I'll just give one example. Mm -hmm. Like so 
a lot of who you are is based on what you currently prefer. And it's also based on what you currently tolerate. Um, okay. And so your preferences will change over time, but also hopefully what you tolerate will change over time. Like I'll give an example, like, um, mm -hmm. um, like sometimes because I, I write, you know, professionally and for a lot of different outlets, like a lot of people want me to write about them, like on a, like on Forbes or like on, on a big platform, you know? And right. Like, okay. Sometimes people will like, aggressively try to get their agenda accomplished by trying to get my attention. Um, okay. And sometimes subverting past like my assistant or something like that. And, and mm. recently there was this guy who has been, you know, really wanting me to write this article about him. And I've said, email my assistant and she'll put you on my calendar whenever I can. I'm in the middle of writing a book. So it's going to be a while. Right. <laughs> and, and anyways, my assistant gave a time sometime like a month or two in the future and and then he went around her and started texting me and stuff and it oh. really frustrated me and i and, and, it, and it was like the last straw like this yeah. has happened a lot but i said i'm not going to do this anymore like it, it basically he burned through my tolerance level and i right. and, and now it's no longer something i'm willing to tolerate that kind of stuff and so like you know sometimes it takes a lot longer to learn a lesson than it should right. like if the whole idea of lessons are repeated until learned but if you're still tolerating things um, that are obviously not helpful towards you or towards your goals, um, mm -hmm. then you're not going to change. But at some point, uh, you know, if you're really striving to improve your life, at some point you'll start to see that you're not, you can't deal with these things anymore. You can't deal with what you used to deal with. You're not going to tolerate things you used to deal with. And that's a real, and once you have that, then you've really started to learn. Like once you start saying, nope, not doing that anymore, that's a good sign of learning. That's good. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you've established a boundary. You know, before, yeah, that's what it is. Any, You've established you know. a standard as well and a boundary, right. and, and 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 now you're very clear that you're not going to go past that anymore. You're not going to you're not going to let this happen anymore because it's now something that you can't even comprehend dealing with. Like you're just like, nope, that's not. Yeah, form, former me used to deal with that kind of stuff, but exactly, I'm not going to play with that kind of stuff anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, because you can kind of predict the downward spiral that can. Yeah, you already. Spiral. But also your current self is in a different place than your former self and your current self may not have the capacity to deal with that anymore. You may be dealing with Absolutely. bigger things or challenges or you might be at a place where it's just no longer even useful or helpful or because now I've got five kids and because I'm pursuing different goals like. Yeah, yeah, maybe if you if if I had met that guy a year ago and he had asked me that, I probably would have just got straight to the article. But now it's like, right. no, like I'm in a different situation and a different mindset now. I've got right. different goals, different priorities. Like I can't even handle that anymore. Exactly. I love that. All right. So what is a key takeaway you want us to get from your new book? Yeah. You know, so the book's called yeah, yeah. Thank you. And okay. I'm just grateful to be on your show. I love your perspectives. I think you and I could, thank you. I would love to just come and see your environment. And I mean, I, I just think you're amazing. Um, awesome. I mean, What's someone who has 15 kids, <laughs> I mean, your level of flexibility and adaptability has to be through the roof. Um, yeah. And I would be interested in the purpose that brought you to that. Actually, would you just share with that, that with me real quick, just before I, um, yes. I, you know, I would be interested in what kind of purpose or perspectives would allow you to take on so much. Yeah. You know, well, one of the things is that I was an only child. That's the first thing in terms of having a large family. Yeah. Uh, always wanted siblings. That was something that was on my Christmas list, actually. And uh, it never happened. My parents got divorced when I was young. My dad passed away when I was nine and my mom got remarried. But um, I had a maternal grandmother that I would spend the summers with. And so my mother is one of 12. 
So I believe a lot of her imprinting, you know, was on me where I long for a big family. Now we started out wanting five and, you know, 15 came into the picture, but we do have somewhat of a Christian uh, belief. I wasn't raised uh, in the church, so to speak. But when we met and after we had our first child, we really were on this journey spiritually and, you know, just led by whatever God had for us. And so that's how we got to 15. So you were open to it. Yes, I was open. And then I think um, my journey with being so flexible happened at my own demise because I was dealing with depression and anxiety. So for a period of 13 years, I was hospitalized three times for depression. And so I've labeled that was just due to the sheer stress that you had taken upon yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, my husband's a pastor, so I have leadership in the church. He also was an officer. So we uh, dealt with separation because he's an officer, not being with enlisted. And uh, just for me growing up, education was my backbone. Um, I thrived on recognition and, um, you know, making good grades. I was in gifted classes. So I thought I could apply that principle of hard work to my family in order for it to be, um, you know, seeing, getting that validation from other people and seeking that. So I went into this mindset of thinking if I'm doing something good, really attaching my value to the role that I was playing. And some of these roles were not in my control. So after my last hospitalization, it was then that I really took some time to reflect and say, you know, I could blame everybody. I called myself functionally depressed because I was still doing everything on the outside, going to soccer games and PTO and all these different things. And everybody on the outside didn't know anything was wrong, but at home I was a basket case. So that's when I came up with my own strategy for, um, Fresh Start, and it's an acronym. And those five pillars helped me overcome my depression and really go on this journey of doing that self-reflection. And so now I'm so passionate about helping other women, especially recognize that we have a choice to decide if we want to be happy or not. And we can begin to create that life for ourselves. And so I'm just passionate about mental wellness now. So that's a little bit about my story. I love it. I love it. Well, you had some enough experiences to shift your perspective, right? Yes. And then to reprioritize and refocus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's great. Uh, That's brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I, so just so everyone knows the book's called personality isn't permanent comes out June of 2006, uh, 2020, sorry. And we're back in 2016, apparently. And, uh, anyways, um, this book's, published with penguin random house it's okay it's gonna be it's gonna be a biggie um but it's gonna be slightly controversial um i really break down in this book the myths that have been laid out about personality Uh such as that personality is innate that it's unchangeable that it comes from your past that it's something you discover that it's your core and authentic self those are all myths of personality that lead people to a fixed mindset they're the reason why personality testing is a multi-billion dollar industry and tests like Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, those types of tests, although interesting and playful, 
are not scientific. Uh, that was one of the things that surprised me big during my PhD in organizational psychology is that those tests are not true. Um, they're, they're basically like horoscopes. Um, they're like, you know, they provide a fun, interesting perspective that allows people a sense of identity, but ultimately it becomes a fixed mindset and a lack of flexibility. Wow. Um, and so what I explain is, is the four reasons why personality is the way it is, specifically that your personality is the way it is. One being trauma, two being your identity narrative, which is kind of the story you tell about yourself. Um, three being your subconscious and four being your environment and about how when you change these things and when you begin uh, being intentional that your personality not only will change and by the way it changes anyways um, you know if you think about who you were 10 years ago you're probably a slightly different person than you were 10 years ago yes right yes, yes absolutely. are you the exact same person you were 10 years ago hey I'm not even the same person I was yesterday well there you go <laughs> yeah no 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 well, I, and understandable from someone who's pursuing 15 <laughs> kids and that much learning and growth. Um, and so, yeah, there's really abundant, incredible, powerful research these days about, about how personality can and does change and about when you become intentional, it can change dramatically. And, and obviously when you're mm. reframing the past, uh, when you're shifting your story, when you're updating your subconscious, and then obviously when you're transforming your environment, you can make huge, powerful changes. You can change your narrative, your story, your memory of the past, and you can also become very powerfully clear on the future and become that person. So uh, I would challenge readers if, they, uh, if they're interested in, in understanding more about this to, to get the book Personalities and Permanent. I think it's gonna really rock your perspective and, and uh, it's got a lot of uh, intense jabs in a positive way, kind of wake up yeah. calls. Really positive though, and I think it's, uh, you'll really love the book. So I go. am really excited. You know, this definitely resonates with me. I'm going to send you my little uh, write-up that I do and share with people when it comes to coaching about my philosophy and, you know, just to hear your insight. But I definitely will recommend this book. I'm, I'm excited for, you know, I when think we got you out. a PDF, hopefully. So <laughs> feel free to read it. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, I think... Uh, I think given your coaching and your background and all the things you're doing, I think you're going to, you're going to really be blown away. I'm excited. Okay. So give us, uh, I know you've got your own books, but give us a few books that come to mind about how somebody can kind of begin this journey of, you know, being more open, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they're in the beginning stages. They're not quite there yet. So how to begin that walk of intentionality. Of course, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's the book, The Power of Intention, which kind of okay. opens that up about Wayne Dyer. Right. Um, but uh, there's a book called Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart, Oh, I don't which is an interesting that. book. Um, it's by, uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now, but Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart okay. is a really great book. Uh, let's see, what else has really been impactful lately? I, I go through so many books that I, I have a hard time... Okay you know, remembering, you know, I stuff that's not like right. just dead, dead on the top of my head right now. I know. Um, so you're doing an interview or something and then it's like, Hey, that person said this. And then, you know, remembering their name and everything. Yeah. Now. There's a really great book by Carol Dweck. Um, but oh, called yeah. Mindset. Mindset's yeah. a really important mm -hmm. book. That's, that's mm -hmm. an incredibly important book. Right. Um, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of others. I, I have books all around me. Um, I, I'm the so, same one. You know, most women collect shoes. I collect books. I have a problem. It's beautiful. <laughs> if I could just, you know, get this osmosis going on with all the uh, material inside the book when I touch it, then I'd really be on fire. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, because you got to carve out that time to read. Yeah. 
so. Well, this has just been a pleasure. I am so honored to have had time to talk to you. And I really am it's excited been my pleasure. for yeah, what you have going on. And give my best to your wife, you know. She deserves it. Time. Yeah. <laughs> she is epic. And, you know, behind every person doing anything interesting is is multiple people who make it real, right? Mm-hmm. Now, so do, are your twins identical or fraternal? No, no, no. Now, one has short blonde hair. The other one has long brown hair. Oh. Uh, so the one with brown hair, her name is Phoebe. The one with short blonde hair, her name is Zora. Oh, okay. And, uh, and um, yeah, they're incredibly interesting, different girls, very cute, and uh, just oh. a ton of fun. That's good. And we're so, doing are... swimming lessons with them right now. So they're, because we have a pool in our backyard. And so they're oh, yeah. learning how to like get underwater and flip on their back and stuff. It's kind of fun. Oh, that is so sweet. Well, you guys enjoy one another. And I'm so excited. Looking forward to what the future holds for you and would love to have you come back. You know, I would love you... to be back. I would, yeah. I mean, given your background, these 15 kids, <laughs> just everything you strive for, your Christian background, I mean, just mm -hmm. your love for learning and transformation i would love to come back anytime and talk about more whatever else you want to talk about yeah okay well i will definitely be reaching out okay beautiful well thank you man. Right. it was fun all right well thank you so much for your time okay see you have a good day bye-bye